Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Slash Filmcast, the official podcast of SlashFilm.com. I'm David Chen, and with me are... Devendra Hardware. And Jeff Kanata. And thanks for joining us today, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the Slash Filmcast. What we're going to be doing today, talking about some of your emails. You can email us at SlashFilmcast at gmail.com, some follow-up from last week. Uh, we're going to be discussing what we've been watching this week, and then we're going to move on into our review of Suicide Squad, uh, which one of my most anticipated films of the summer. So looking forward to chatting about that with you guys. Um, find more episodes of this podcast at SlashFilmCast.com. And as I already mentioned, you can email us at SlashFilmCast at gmail.com. We got a, a bunch of emails from librarians last week uh, talking about the dilemma we posed about uh, – Digital codes that you can find in DVD boxes. We had an anonymous listener write in and say that they were uh, redeeming codes like ultraviolet codes, iTunes codes, whatever, in DVD boxes that they found at the library. And is this uh, an okay practice? Is this acceptable? I think we ultimately concluded on the podcast that it's okay. We had a bunch of librarians weigh in on this uh, at slashfilmcast.gmail.com. And I'm just going to read one of them, but I wanted to say thanks for – all of the uh, people who wrote into us. Uh, yeah, we had no idea how huge this show is for librarians. Yes, uh, apparently like so. Big contingent of our audience, it yes, turns out. Uh, which is awesome. Uh, so Shelly from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania wrote my favorite email from a librarian. Uh, long-time listener, but a longer-time librarian, I'd like to step in and absolve all of your listeners uh, and you four of whatever hypothetical library sins you're contemplating. It was actually quite endearing to hear you struggle with potential moral library wrongdoings. I've dealt with many patrons that don't have that voice in their head, just our newest DVDs and video games stuffed down their pants. From the desk of a librarian, there's three possible scenarios as to how that redeemable code made its way to the DVD box and what the discoverer could do in each of these situations. Scenario one, as a librarian that works in a library that does redeem codes because we do movie showings monthly and scoop up DLC for pre-ordered video games for our gaming club, I could see someone in tech services, uh, i.e. labeling materials, etc., accidentally sending a movie slash game to be shelved with DLC codes inside. That's not something every patron would know, so I suggest following Dave and Angie's recommendation. Talk to your librarian. If you don't want to do so in person, drop them an email. If no one gets back to you, you might be dealing with possibility number two. Possibility number two. Despite being in the digital age for a couple decades, your library still defies the modern era and doesn't understand what a digital copy is. Not impossible, but it grows more unlikely with every passing day. If you ask an email and no one gets back to you, I'd claim that code as your own. To massage any possible guilt, I'd recommend following Devendra's suggestion. Donate something. My library hosts food drives, toy drives, recycled cell phone drives, book sales, and support drives. If that's not enough, write a check, pick up some trash you see walking by, stop in, and see if you can drive a few books to homebound patrons. In general, if you feel you've gotten more than you deserve from your public institution, just see what you can do to help. Or or don't even do it out of guilt. Just like I just heard some of those recommendations, mm-hmm. and I think I might just go do them. Yeah, Pretty just great. do them for free. Yeah. Last option I can think of, scenario three. Yup, it was meant for you, dummy. We get to see the materials as they come in. We see them, uh, and they have promotional stickers, coupons, bookmarks, playing cards, toys, redeemable codes attached. And we choose to let them go to the shelves that way, knowing that the first lucky patron that finds the material gets to keep the item. If your library doesn't have the resources to stream movies, that's probably what they choose. As primarily a children's librarian, it's always wonderful to assure a child who found the book with Lego included or one that has the Yu-Gi-Oh card tucked inside, yes, they do get to keep that. 
Basically, communicate. Ask questions. Librarians are seekers of and providers of knowledge and occasionally DVD codes. That email comes in from Shelly from Philadelphia. Awesome email. And great advice for anyone who's struggling with uh, what to do with DVD codes they find in library copies of movies. Um, One of the things that I think we've learned from uh, the responses from librarians is that librarians are delightful people. (laughs) Yes. Oh, yes. And uh, very smart, which is something that uh, you'd probably expect from people who work with books for a living. Uh, I also liked uh, another email that someone sent in, Bill sent in. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but... Uh, he, he commented here, and I, I really appreciated this uh, sentiment. He said, you are right that it isn't a community good because it is a one-time use situation. Think of it as food. If you went to a library event and they had free pizza, would you grab a slice? Of course. But if you grabbed a few boxes, that might be a bit different. <laughs> so use them, but don't use them unceremoniously. Don't, as Devendra said, catch them all, end quote. <laughs> Uh, which I thought was another good guideline. Like we got a bunch of tweets joking around saying, "Guys, I'm heading to the library. To check out some DVDs." Uh, yeah, don't uh, don't go do that. So I mean, <laughs> check out DVDs. Yeah, That's just just don't here. just don't try to get all the yeah. all the codes. This discussion prompted another listener to write into slashfilmcast at gmail dot com with. Another movie dilemma, and uh, this listener, John, from Seattle, Washington, actually suggested maybe we should have a weekly segment, like the movie dilemma of the week, which we are happy to do. So if you have any more movie dilemmas... We will adjudicate your problems. Yes. Uh, Be it spoiler court, be it just a regular old summary judgment on what to do with DVD codes, or in the case of John, John writes in, I was a freshman in college the year Lord of the Rings Fellowship of the Rings was released... I was a massive fan of the movie. I paid to see it in theaters four times and even bought a bunch of memorabilia like an officially licensed replica of the Glamdring Sword. During the period of time that the film has left theaters, but before it had been released in DVD, my neighbor in my dorms got his hands on a pirated copy. I overheard him behind the wall watching it and went over to see what uh, I thought it was. I'm sorry. I overheard him through the wall watching it and uh, went over to see that it was what I thought it was. Uh... And I was excited because I wanted to watch it and was having a hard time waiting for the DVD release. I asked if he would make me a copy, and then I went to my friend who also loved the film and asked if he wanted to watch it with me. Instead, he admonished me for piracy and wanted nothing to do with it. (laughs) I told him I wasn't hurting anyone. I wasn't taking money out of anyone's pocket. I paid to see it many times, and as soon as the DVD was available, I was going to buy it, and I did. I then bought the extended version the day it came out. Later, I bought the Blu-rays. It was a question of not watching it or watching it this way. I never did end up watching the copy because of how he made me feel about it, but I've always wondered if it was really that bad. I don't support piracy normally, but with all the circumstances uh, surrounding circumstances, would it have been wrong to watch that copy? So that email comes from John, who's racked by guilt from a copy of Lord of the Rings he obtained uh, from a friend. Now, we on the Slash Homecast would never, ever encourage or condone uh, piracy of movies Uh, so let's just get that out of the way first that pirating is never correct Mm -hmm. Uh, but in this situation (laughs) would it have been the worst thing in the world i don't think anybody yeah like you're saying nobody would be hurt by it and also it's just him fanning the flames of his fandom to go buy more shit you know about it yeah it would be a different story if he wasn't gonna go buy it already you know mm-hmm. or if he wasn't planning on going, it hadn't going seen it many times and hadn't like 
Yeah, really invested will, himself uh, in this. I will come clean on my own morality dance on this, uh, which <laughs> I, I continue to do to this day, which is – and I understand that it is technically not right and I will disavow this this discussion. It's okay. No one's going to hear this. Right. No one will hear this. <laughs> no one listens to this. Um, but my own little morality dance and I understand it's – you know, whatever. If I can't see it any other way, if, if th- we have not made it available – to me, to watch, like for instance, uh, for a long time you couldn't see the Black Mirror anywhere, mm-hmm. right? I procured the Black Mirror in a way that is technically not the way I'm supposed to. Right. Uh huh. But there was no way for me to watch it without that way. So the the, the avenues to my paying to see it were closed. Really? Like even a foreign DVD with a PAL compatible DVD player, you could not do that. Well. Perhaps. Perhaps. I don't know. I don't know. if that, Was it out on DVD? I don't know. I know that I searched. The answer is probably yes. <laughs> probably yes. So I didn't – what I meant to say is I didn't do that. I didn't mm-hmm. do that. So that – guys, I yeah. didn't do that. No, but it's, I'm saying I, 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 I think a – and I understand this is morally questionable, but this is, this is kind of what I do. If there isn't a way for me to see the thing and I really want to see the thing – I'll find a way to see the thing. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the, I feel like that's a lot of people too, especially if you don't live in a major metropolitan city or something. The the thing about uh, this listener bringing up Lord of the Rings, I also actually remember this too because uh, I was in college at the time. I, I remember that was like the first time a really good copy of a movie kind of appeared. It was like a confluence of a bunch of things. It like was where, like where you good, could get you could get yeah. a DVD screener DVD of the quality. film online, yeah. right? Where, where, as opposed to it being like a cam version of it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And it was DVD quality pretty much. Um, and MPEG compression got to a point where you could actually download it, and people had fast yeah. internet. You, you so. have a lot of familiarity with this illegal file, Devendra. I do. I mean, I feel like a lot of people do, but I mean, a lot of people have pirated shit every time it's, it's not gonna end the world Spoiler, um, but Vindra was the friend in this story i was always the friend <laughs> but the thing is like even if i pirated shit there is the no past, john like, from seattle washington <laughs> Vindra wrote this email guys M. it is twist. it's the sort of thing where even if i couldn't afford to get everything before now i almost kind of overcompensate and buy shit wherever possible to support things so it's tough it depends on where you are in life and everything uh but again you know, we, we return to the point of if it's possible for you to obtain something legally and watch it legally, for sure. you should always do that. Uh, and sometimes you can't do that. You know, uh, <laughs> I think here are the edge cases that make it mm-hmm. more challenging, right? Number one uh, is if something's available to you, but it's incredibly expensive. Like in the Black Mirror example, like it, you could buy a DVD player or Blu-ray player that plays mm-hmm. UK Blu-rays, and then you could import Black Mirror, but that would cost like hundreds of dollars. And if you just waited like six months, you could have it for like you know ten dollars. It was years though. The Black Mirror thing is a special case because for some reason that licensing just didn't happen for a long, long time. So, yeah. yeah. So those cases are kind of – it makes it more difficult to advocate for the mm-hmm. – I'm not saying it makes it impossible. I'm just saying it makes it more challenging to say you should you know, obtain it legally because sometimes it may not be possible to do so. Uh, and then there are also some cases where I actually – this is actually not even really related. But there have been some movies I've seen at film festivals that are just 
completely impossible even via illegal means to obtain. <laughs> you know, it'll be like a foreign film. Like I saw this foreign film called King Curling a long time ago that was about cur- – it, it was like a comedy about Olympic curling, you know, that sport. And yes, I, I, really sure. had fun, I really had fun with it and I cannot find it anywhere. And um, I'm not saying I would get it illegally if I there could. There is a hole in your soul right but now. But I can't even get – I can't even get it illegally. Like it's not even it's not even available to get illegally. Um, so you, you think? <laughs> I, I would assume. I mean, right. not that I've checked. Uh, uh, I have another one, guys. I have another moral dance that a friend of mine does. Blef Blanada, I'll call him a friend who's not me. But <laughs> in the situations where Blef finds himself wanting to watch something let's say on a plane or in travel that he has is already paying a subscription to see streaming Bluff <laughs> will sometimes procure said thing download said thing to be able to watch it and feel like well Bluff right. is already paying the subscription fee to stream the thing <laughs> from Netflix so if internet was available where Bluff wanted to watch this, Bluff would certainly be streaming it over said service that he's already paying for. And that's the only place to watch that thing. But simply because there is no streaming possibility, now Moral Dance will happen and (laughs) that will be downloaded and saved locally for watching when there's no streaming possible. I would tell Bluff, though, that offline rights, I think, differ a little from streaming rights. So that's that's the thing. Oh, Bluff, that's (laughs) not... Not, uh, you know, perfectly That's kosher a a from thing. a legal standpoint. Luckily, I don't talk to Bluff very often. <laughs> I will say, I actually have no problem downloading something if it's like a something I actually physically own, just for that reason too, like to get a smaller version of a film to right. on the plane or something. Like that's – that's it, to, to me, that's justified in my morality, so it's fine. I paid for it, man. It's also something that Amazon Prime actually offers. You can download yeah, anything yeah. on Prime streaming to watch it offline. There's a limit of, I think, 20 items that you can download, which I've run up against. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's cool that you can download. It's a streaming service, but you can download offline. Um, and I think, I, I would surmise within five years that ne- we'll see that from Netflix, but uh, I'm not sure. It's, it's a rights nightmare, I'm sure. Uh, mm-hmm. But it would be super useful to have that on Netflix. It's useful for Amazon because somehow they've also gotten a lot better movie deals than Netflix. And they also have like, you know... Yeah. Uh, current tv deals like brain dead uh shows up there a week after anyway uh i think bluff is mostly okay jeff okay so you i'll can, tell him you can let, let him know, know that you yeah. can let him know that uh, he's not here right now but uh, after i leave maybe he will be okay <laughs> okay <laughs> so anyway thanks for writing into slash filmcast at gmail.com with your movie dilemmas uh and yeah if you'd like us to adjudicate Email us at slashfilmcast at gmail.com. We're happy to uh, tackle any movie-related problems. Right. We should probably have. have like a lawyer disclaimer somewhere just in case anybody <laughs> follows our instructions and gets in trouble. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's another thing, by the way, yes. that uh, like even though probably morally what Bluff is doing is, <laughs> is okay, uh, any sort of piracy action does open you up for a liability. Like you could get sued by uh, the MPAA, mm-hmm. you know, like – or your ISP will get yeah. Your ISP will notice. give them your so, so it, it is inadvisable uh, for just legal reasons. So let, let's make sure we don't lose sight of that. But morally, eh, 
it's uh, probably a little <laughs> bit less of a clear-cut case. All right, guys. Uh, that's your emails at slashfilmcast.gmail.com. Um, you know, let me, let me present to you a movie dilemma that's actually not uh, a moral one that you can do in mm-hmm. real life. It's a, it's a random one that um, appears in films. Uh, there's this guy on Twitter who I follow named Owen Ellickson who is like one of my favorite tweeters. He, he writes these elaborate scripts about the Trump uh, campaign that are very funny. And he just unleashed this tweet storm at us, like literally during the podcast, uh, that I want to read to you. And let's just ponder it for a moment before we get to what we've been watching. Owen Ellickson tweets, Another Sunday, another morning spent contemplating Elsa's horrifically awesome powers. And he's referring to Elsa for Frozen. Don't focus on the ice weapons, people. She can create intelligent life. There isn't a single X-Men lineup that would stand a chance against her. And you can't seal her away Magneto-style. What are you going to make? A moisture-free prison? Grow up. Elsa versus all the other Disney princesses combined? A savage bloodbath. Merida has a chance at a headshot, but we've seen Elsa block arrows. The only morally (laughs) responsible story for the sequel would be Anna convincing Elsa to kill herself for the sake of humankind. End quote. From There's Gordon your Alex. reboot it's material. It's a rough sequel. Yeah. <laughs> it's a rough. What, what do you guys think? Isn't Elsa one of the most powerful people in all of you know cinema? Let history? her die. Let her die. <laughs> <laughs> no, you got to sing "Let Her Go" while you're like holding her from the edge of a rooftop or something. <laughs> I think uh, the genie. In Aladdin, also has a shit ton of powers, right? Yeah, that's a good point. You have to have a big fight here. <laughs> I think when David Harbour in Suicide Squad says, "What if Superman just ripped the top of the Oval Office, <laughs> scooped up the President of the United States, and flew away? There'd be nothing we could do to stop him." He needs to replace that description with Elsa from Frozen, because yeah. if you think about it, I mean, Elsa's powers are much more uh, damning and powerful than Superman. I mean, creating intelligent life, guys. Like, at, at a whim, you know? Yeah, could be, she's she a could god. have an army. Like, she's more powerful than the villain in Suicide Squad. She's you know? a god. She's, she could have, yeah, she could have, like... The definition of a god. She could have an army, like, right in front... Command an army, like, literally within seconds, right? With, she doesn't even need to convert, like, flesh and blood humans to her minions. Right. So, yeah, I agree. That's, like that's what defines being a god, right? Is being able to create intelligent life. Yes. She's, or has- uh, Or the female race, you know, whatever. Same thing, but uh, I don't understand why there's a distinction there, Dave. <laughs> what are you saying? <laughs> All right. Anyway, let's move on. What have we been watching this week, Jeff Canada? You've been watching a couple things. <laughs> uh, well, you guys, uh, do you guys have Olympic fever? Are you guys watching the Olympics? Sure. You mean Zika? <laughs> Zika, the Zika outbreak in real time. That Come we're on, watching. guys. Let's not be ignorant here. Jeff Canada, tell us about the opening ceremonies. Uh, I don't know. I, don't, I was just. I just thought I'd bring it up because it's it's eating into my um, right. other watching so significantly. <laughs> uh, I I'm I love the Olympics, especially the Summer Olympics. I love the Summer Olympics, and every year. I mean, yesterday I basically had it on all day, just watching stuff that three out of four years, all the time. I couldn't care less about, <laughs> but 
for some reason during the Olympics, I am glued to volleyball and cycling and fencing and stuff that like if there was the the world championships of that thing, I would never turn it on. <laughs> but because it's the Olympics, I'm like, oh, I want to see those yeah. male gymnasts do the this thing. This is important. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I don't know. I thought they, I thought the opening ceremonies were uh, all, all, uh, alternated between boring and spectacular. Uh, as most of them do. But I thought there you know, there was some imagery that was really, really wonderful. And then there was other moments where it was just like, woof, edit this out. But uh, I don't know. What did you guys Here, think? Here's what I think we can agree on about opening ceremonies. And actually, there's a great piece at Vulture mm-hmm. about this, about how horrible of a job NBC does with opening ceremonies and in general with the Olympics. But specifically, there's just this tedious and condescending moralizing by the commenters oh, every God, single yeah. time they do these uh, opening ceremonies of like uh, the the commentators just think that like uh, it, it's they just think they know better than the host country every year uh, right, and right, right. it is really irritating. Um, so it's normally it's normally like the British commentators too, so it's kind of extra funny. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. I, I thought that I thought there was some. Did you guys watch any of them? I thought there was some really beautiful technological yes. wizardry on display. I saw some, and, yeah. And I always, um, I'm always amazed that there's somebody whose job it is. Like, so few opportunities to do that kind of thing. And there's got to be people that specialize in it. But you know, it's like the I guess, Super Bowl halftime show, Olympic opening ceremonies. There's, there's very few opportunities to do that kind of scale of a thing. And uh, I'm always intrigued by what that process is. Like, how do you even come to some of the stuff you see there? Is you just meet with technology people and like, what can we do? What do you guys do? You guys have a giant projector that we can shoot down? Okay, cool. Let's use that. It's, <laughs> it, I don't know. I was. I, I find them. I find it fascinating. Mm. Uh, well, the Olympics, they're on NBC right now, and you should check them out if you have a chance. I guess. I feel like you guys are not interested. Uh, not interested. Yeah. No, not I really. Saw, I watch a little bit. Yeah. It's just not something I follow religiously. Fair enough. I, I get I get really uh, swept up in the whole thing, and I, I think you know, for me, Jeff, I'm going to be honest. Like when I watched the Olympics as a kid, I was super into them. Yeah, yeah. And I think that like as I've gotten older and I learn more about the IOC, the International Olympic Committee, and and all the stuff that goes into selecting Olympics and all that stuff. Like for me, when I was a kid, the Olympics just represented like a pure thing. Like, oh hey. Uh, a bunch of countries getting together and competing with sports instead of with guns, and that was a cool idea. And wow. then you're not thinking of the biathlon, but go ahead. <laughs> and then when you get older, you realize, oh wait. Firstly, the IOC is like a corrupt organization. Secondly, uh, the the Olympics typically are a, a hugely economically damaging. Uh, event for whatever the host country is. There's mm-hmm. usually cost overruns. It's almost never worth it, quote unquote, from a tourism or any influx of revenue perspective. Only in the um, last 30 years has that been true. That's yeah. fair enough, Jeff. <laughs> fair enough. It does seem like it's going to be a huge mess in Brazil. Yeah, as, uh, yeah. Country but, but, but we'll see. We'll see. I mean, it, things. Yeah. You know, this is a country that put on the World Cup two years ago. You know, it it <laughs> probably can handle the Olympics too. We'll see. Let's wait until things actually start happening before we make the bad pronouncements. But, uh, yeah, so, Jeff, I mean, because of those things, because of, like, the quote-unquote real-life elements of the Olympics, uh, I've start, it started to lose its luster for me as a kind of pure sports competition. But, yeah, there are still amazing moments of drama 
mm-hmm. and uh, feats of athletic prowess of the Olympics. I, well. I do feel like in the next fifty or hundred years, uh, when they make like the uh, in the post-apocalyptic hellscape that'll be you know Earth <laughs> at that point, uh, the history books will point to these Olympics as the thing that spread Zika all across the world. So, yeah. <laughs> I did. I did have that thought when I was watching the opening ceremonies. If you were a supervillain and you wanted your contamination, whatever, to get (laughs) to every single country on Earth, this is what you do. (laughs) I did. I did have that thought when I was watching the opening ceremonies, watching it going. This is pretty much the definition of like (laughs) dancing as the Titanic sinks. You know, it's like, oh, look at all the stuff we can do as everything crumbles slowly around us. But um, free, free supervillain concept there. Right. All right. So I know you're kind of being facetious, Devendra. At the same kind time, of, except it's terrifying, and it's in Florida now. The, okay, yeah, that's, yeah. That's and true. Congress keeps denying funding for yes. for. We, but but we are unleashing the genetically modified mosquitoes to fight the other mosquitoes, and uh, we hopefully that doesn't introduce another whole problem. Yeah, that has never been the plot of a terrible sci-fi yes. film. Yes. So what are we worried about? Uh, just just to correct the record on this, uh, I mean, you're right. Zika as as a whole is an issue. But uh, firstly, I believe it is currently winter in Rio right now, so it's not as much of a problem. And also, uh, a recent Yale study estimated that out of half a million visitors to the Rio Olympics, only 80 will become infected with Zika. So uh, yeah, studies. those 80 will just go back to their home <laughs> countries and everything will be fine. Yeah, we'll yeah. see. It, we'll it, see what Dave happens. Dave has never seen Contagion. Remember that little map? Of God, the, the I'm trying to tamp down the forward. sort of hysterical, you know, uh, out of control. Uh, some of it's hysterical. Worry some about of it is this. legitimately worrying, though. Like when I'm watching the news and I just see like a minor, a minor like a uh, news brief about like the latest Zika update. It feels like in Shaun of the Dead when they're just like flipping <laughs> past news channels. It's like, oh, by the way, uh, it's like a massive hysteria, world ending. Switch the channel. And like it gets worse. Yeah, no, no. I, I feel the same way about like global warming and how every time we see a headline of like this is the hottest yes. year ever yeah. in recorded history, uh, we are really in the uh, first act of a Roland yeah. Emmerich style. Donald you know, Trump, day- just closer to president. Like yeah. this year is the culmination of every like hellscape. R- Roland uh, Emmerich, like yeah. day after tomorrow style. <laughs> like when you see those movies, the first act is these kinds of news reports and then yeah. the horrible things happen so it's like Roland Emmerich just make a movie called 2016 and uh, <laughs> it'll just be everything that happened this it's year just yeah. the news cycle yeah yeah all right jeff uh, happier news tell us briefly about kubo uh, and the and the two strings which you saw but we're uh, going to talk about uh, in a full review probably in the future we will be talking about it in a full review so i won't go into it in detail but i will say that at your earliest convenience rush out to the theater and see Kubo and the Two Strings. This film deserves to be destroying the box office. It deserves to be given the Academy Award for Best Animated Feature of the Year. I really liked uh, Finding Dory, but there's no no competition here. Uh, Laika has made some great movies. I think this is by far my favorite of the movies they've made. And I like Coraline. I like Paranorman is uh, one of my favorite of theirs up to this point but i think uh i think kubo and the two strings it's legend of zelda it's star wars it's in that pantheon of great adventure tales it is visually and technically uh, a level of wizardry that boggles the mind they are they're too good at stop motion now too good it's it's too good because it looks like cg at this point um (laughs) 
But uh, it is it is a wonderful movie that you should definitely take your kids to. Although I guess really young kids, there's some scary stuff like there are monsters and things that might scare little kids. But uh, when this comes out, uh, we will be reviewing it in detail. But I absolutely loved it. And I should say, I also got a chance when I went to the this premiere. They had a big event, uh, and they showed uh, a whole like retrospective for Leica, and I got to walk around and see models from all of their movies, including this one. Nice. And it, it's just it just drives home how magical it is that they physically build all these things uh, because you know standing next to these models just you see the handcraftedness of these movies and it, it, it they've almost lost that on the screen because yeah. of how good they are um, and you, to remind yourself that these are all just physically manipulated by human beings one frame at a time it's pretty amazing. I tweeted on July 19th, 2016, prediction, Kubo and the Two Strings will make critics' top ten lists be mind-blowing, beautiful, and amazing, and no one will see it. I hope that's uh, not the case. It's but, but Jeff, part one of my prediction has come true. Uh, audience, prove me wrong, guys. Prove me wrong. I'm curious to hear what you guys think, though, because this mm-hmm. is clearly uh, a film set in Asia, in a fantasy Asia with Asian characters, and none of them are voiced by Asians, which That's is always fun. a bit of a bummer. It's, uh, it's not as uh, quote-unquote offensive when it's uh, animated, but uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's kind, kind yeah. of a bummer. Uh, I think of like BoJack Horseman, Diane... Yeah. It's not voiced by – that's just another recent example where it's like, okay, well, that sucks that they didn't get an Asian person. But it doesn't bother me as much as it would if like it was a live action film and a white person was playing an Asian person. But it's not uh, just a white person. It's like the whitest of people. It, it's, it's Matthew <laughs> McConaughey's voice comes out. You know, It's like mm. I'm a, you know, driving a Lexus in the middle of the night. You know, It's like, oh, wow. Okay. We'll see. We'll see. Uh, all right, Devinder Hardware, anything you've been watching this week? Uh, I've actually been sort of watching and playing some of Telltale's games. I'm not sure if you guys have played much of their stuff. They do these sort of like adventure games, kind of reminiscent of older PC adventure games. Multiple choice things where you get to make decisions and stuff like that. Uh, I played the first episode of their new Batman series because, yeah, I'm a sucker for everything Batman. And this is just a lot of fun. If you've been feeling down uh, from the DC Cinematic Universe, check this out. Um, It's actually the game. This first episode has you playing Bruce Wayne more than Batman. Um, And it's sort of like early on before Batman has like teamed up with Commissioner Gordon. He's just kind of trying to start. Uh, He has all the gadgets. He has like the Batcave and everything, but he's not like... Uh, a respected hero at this point and a lot of the villains i also think aren't there yet so it's just you like walking around being bruce wayne uh making some decisions around that uh carmine falcone like uh you know uh, crashes a party at your house how do you deal with that and i find it a lot of fun i really enjoy playing these telltale games um even though you're basically just watching it most of the time i have to say troy baker who is a uh, you know pretty respected uh, voice actor. He's been in a lot of anime uh, and video games. He did Joel in The Last of Us, which I think is among the best voice acting work in a game ever. Uh, he does a very good Bruce Wayne slash Batman. So it's, uh, it's a lot of fun. Worth checking out. So if you're craving good storytelling in the DC Universe, uh, check out Batman, the Telltale series, episode it's one. Yeah, and I also played through Tales from the Borderlands, which is a Telltale series from last year. I think, mm-hmm. or a few years yep. ago. Uh, 2014 it started. Uh, and I, I waited on this one um, as much as I like the Telltale stuff. 
Uh, I am not a huge fan of Borderlands and that whole universe. Like, I've played the games a little, but I could care less about the mythology of Borderlands. Uh, thankfully, you don't actually need any of that here. It's just a very good story set in the Borderlands universe with some really great characters. So if you've avoided it like me, go back and play it. I think it's probably Walking Dead Season 1 is the best thing, uh, was the best thing uh, Telltale had done before this. I actually think Tales from the Borderlands is their overall best story. Great characters, great voice acting, great decisions, and the decisions really impact you, too. The only thing, after playing both of these games, I really wish, uh, I don't know, they could come up with better ways to, like, bring in different sorts of gameplay rather than, like, quick-time events. I actually think there's a good way to balance maybe a traditional action gameplay thing in Batman along with all this uh, multiple-choice stuff, too. You know, one of the things I've seen online that's pretty interesting is this anti-critics sentiment about how, sure. oh, critics are in the tank for Marvel, they hate DC, uh, they want to rip DC movies apart. It, it feels as though everyone has completely forgotten about the critical reception to Nolan's Batman films, <laughs> which, uh, for at least The Dark Knight, was rapturous. Uh, and so... Yeah, but you that, forget what happened to the handful of critics. I mean, you were also one of them, Dave, but the handful of people who started to say bad things about The Dark Knight. And I think that's kind of where all this started, too, right? Well, I guess my Online point, my point is that yeah. it is not the case that critics are incapable of liking a movie based on DC comic characters. Uh, it is just... I don't think that's the thing. Potentially, yeah. it uh, has to do with the quality of the movie. That's all I'm, that's all I'm putting I, out there. Yeah, I, I, I think... That's that's the assumption we're all working with here. It's just funny to see how much online culture has like metastasized. It's sort of like just gotten worse and worse over the years. Dark Knight was kind of one of the first times where you had this sort of transformative film. And yeah, if you bring up issues, which are valid issues, you would get like shouted down from the Internet. And now it's like if you, you can't say anything. You can't even have a thought about a movie before somebody coming at your throat. And that's ridiculous. Yeah. Uh, well, anyway, we'll, we'll talk more about that in our review of Suicide Squad coming right up. Uh, but first, we've got to thank all the people that donated to our podcast this week. Neil S. from the UK, uh, Anne L. from the Netherlands, DC from the UK, and also Mark from Novi, Michigan, gave us a massive donation. And uh, just wanted to give a shout-out to Mark because he has been a supporter for many, many years. Uh, and not just listening and donating, but also just like tweeting support all the time for all the stuff we do. Um, Thanks, Mark. So we're a huge fan of Mark and uh, uh, Mark, who by the way is a uh, is a great artist and uh, online personality in his own right. Uh, wow. So Thanks, really appreciate all of his support. Anyway, uh, wanted to give Mark a shout out. Also, Thomas. Sandalands, thanks for your subscription at the rate of $2 per month. If you want to support what we do here on the podcast, go to SlashFilm.com. Click on the SlashFilmCast tab. Use the PayPal links on the side of the page. All the money you donate goes to help us defray the cost of seeing movies putting on the show. So thanks so much, guys. Let's get to our review of Suicide Squad. Gentlemen, ladies, what if Superman had decided to fly down, rip off the roof of the White House grab the president right out of the Oval Office. Who would have stopped him? <laughs> I want to build a team of some very bad people who I think can do some good. Y'all jokers must be crazy. I'm not just one of y'all many toys. 
That was from the trailer of Suicide Squad, the newest film by writer-director David Ayer. Uh, and joining us for our review of Suicide Squad, he is the editor-in-chief of Film Drunk. Vince Mancini, welcome back to the Slash Filmcast. Vince, how are you doing today? It's great to be here. I'm great. Everything's great. Awesome. <laughs> Uh, that's very enthusiastic, and I would expect nothing less because uh, you are one of the three film critics that actually liked Suicide Squad. So that's why uh, we brought you on here today. So really appreciate you being on this podcast. Uh, I'm going to read the plot summary of this film from IMDb. Uh, a secret government agency recruits a group of imprisoned supervillains to execute dangerous black ops missions in exchange for clemency, which inevitably leads to chaos. Uh, so... Before we dive into the review of Suicide Squad, we must talk about all the things that happened slash were revealed this week about Suicide Squad. Uh, one thing is a bombshell piece by The Hollywood Reporter uh, that described the rocky making of this film. And Suicide Squad, guys, was never supposed to be a major tentpole you know, four-quadrant blockbuster. David Ayer wanted to make a really dark film, which probably matched in tone with every other film that David Ayer has ever made. Uh, and he was unable to do this because two things happened. Number one, Batman v Superman did not perform as well as people wanted it to and also was savaged by critics uh, a few months ago. So that sent Warner Brothers kind of scrambling. And number two... The trailer for Suicide Squad was really, really good. I mean, that trailer has all the trailers, um, but I mean, one of them has like 57 million views on YouTube and makes it look like a really fun action comedy, as it were. Uh, Jeff Kanata, I know you don't like watching trailers. Did you go back and watch the trailer for these? As we, I did, and I actually did. They're pretty Uh, good, right? The yeah, yeah, they are. Especially the um, um, Queen trailer. The yeah, uh, Yeah. Bohemian Bohemian Rhapsody. Rhapsody. Yeah. 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 Yeah, which uh, they're like, hey, that that trailer song performed well. Let's just throw it into the film. Really? Uh, if, that, if that movie had been on the screen, I would have really enjoyed it. Yeah. So, by the way, have you heard that song? That it's like a Panic at the Disco cover of Bohemian Rhapsody, I think, and uh, it's it's uh, it's it's really something, and, and, huh. I, and I mean that sarcastically. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, anyway, Warner Brothers is scrambling. They put together a separate edit of. Suicide Squad, using the company that cut together the trailer. So talk about marketing impacting the film. Like, the trailer was so well-received that they're like, hey, this trailer company knows how to edit films. Let's uh, give the movie to them. They gave the movie to them. At one point, apparently, they were screening both cuts simultaneously. David Ayer knew about this process, was on board with it. Uh, And the trailer company's version won. But I assume that uh, there were still kind of... Edits being made up to the last second, competing visions for the film, and uh, it resulted in what we saw on screen, which we're going to talk about in a moment. The only other thing I want to mention, uh, Devinder, we were talking about this uh, off air, is that uh, people were petitioning Rotten Tomatoes uh, this week, right? They thought it was unfair that Rotten Tomatoes was representing the reviews of Suicide Squad. Uh, and of course, you pointed out, Devendra, that uh, Warner Brothers actually partially owns Rotten Tomatoes. So, kind of weird that uh, there would be a petition okay. against them for. We're in a fact-free uh, <laughs> universe now, Dave. Yeah. So nothing it's matters. It, I, this is the first time ever in the decade that I've been 
publicly reviewing films that me expressing my my opinion about a movie beforehand to, uh, resulted in people saying you shouldn't tell me your opinion before a movie before I get a chance to see it <laughs> I, I was I was shocked it was the first time ever and from multiple multiple people were like yeah I saw that on what Twitter. gives you the right to tell me what you think about a movie before I see it I was like what? do you know who I am yeah, no, it's not you should have said do you know who I am it's yeah. like I you're you're following me. Yeah, like, I, there is that. Yeah, I'm putting clearly they're following you the for world. some reason. Yeah, I put my opinion out in the in, in the world, but I don't, it was very odd. Yeah. Very odd. Yeah. All right. Well, anyway, uh, a lot of drama around uh, Suicide Squad before its re- release. And actually, uh, one last thing I want to mention uh, about the post release thing, and then I'm going to get to Vince's comments on the film itself is uh, the box office. Now, this movie debuted with a $60 million Friday, which is really good. And it looked like it was heading towards... Best, best ever August, right? Yeah, one of the best ever August openings. It looked like it was heading towards a 140 to $150 million weekend based on uh, general trends in box office. But it turns out that it had a massive uh, Friday drop. Uh, I'm sorry, Saturday drop. So the the amount of money it made on Saturday was significantly less than the amount that it made on Friday. It dropped 41% uh, from a 65 million Friday to a 38 million, uh, 38.8 million Saturday. Uh, how does that compare to other superhero drops? Batman v Superman dropped around the same amount, 37.9%. Uh, Civil War only dropped 18.9%. Deadpool, 10.2%. So... Uh, that is a massive Saturday drop for Suicide Squad, uh, and turns out it's probably going to end up closer to like 130, 135, which is still amazing, still very good. But the massive drop could foretell uh, bad legs for this film. It might not make it to 300 million, which is important for all of us because of the summer movie wager, and uh, we'll <laughs> see how that goes. But yeah, uh, it, at this point, it's still unknown how well it will do, but still a very, very strong opening. I wonder if that points to uh, pre-sales and how the first day is usually all pre-sold. Right, and And, and separately, whether or not reviews actually have uh, negative reviews, in this case widespread negative reviews, have a chance to actually influence people's buying decisions. Uh, who knows? We'll, we'll find out in the coming weeks, I think. This could be a statistical anomaly or it could foretell trouble for this movie to come. Now, uh, Vince, as I alluded to earlier, you're one of the few people to give this movie a positive review. Uh, in your review at uh, Film Drunk, you write, Suicide Squad is sort of a cinematic Hoobastank song, for better and worse. What did you mean by that? <laughs> I mean, it's very much, the tone of it is very much like a song from, like, the new metal era. Uh, it's very much, you know, it feels a lot like uh, a Hoobastank or like a Papa Roach song where everybody's like, oh, man, my childhood was so messed up and I just can't even <laughs> explain it to you right now, bro. Like, everybody's got bad tats and uh, it's all about surface level, um, surface level evil. Surface level badness. It felt like you know being at Gathering of the Juggalos a little bit. Uh, another take on it I saw. I think Kyle Buchanan tweeted out uh, that uh, he couldn't believe that Warner Brothers decided to make a feature length adaptation of the phrase "No Homo." 
uh, which, <laughs> which, have, which is a different spin on it, but uh, sure. yeah, somewhat similar to what you said. So, uh, Vince, you I found feel this like movie- every bro comedy is like more like a feature length adaptation <laughs> yes. of No Homo yes. than this. So, yeah, what did you uh, what did you like about this film? Because you you rather enjoyed it as kind of a, a throwback to the '90s. I mean, even with its its soundtrack, it uses uh, Eminem unironically, right, in the soundtrack. Uh, so, yeah, what did you uh, what did you like about this movie? I mean, I don't want to overstate my love for this movie, but just to put it simply, like I think at this stage in the comic book movie game, I kind of liked dumb. Uh, I preferred dumb and entertaining to trying to be like a grand metaphor and dull. Like I found out, find a lot of the comic book movies before this one, they're overlong, they're really dull. They're, they're working really hard to convince you that being a superhero is some kind of profound metaphor for something. And Suicide Squad's like, hey, maybe we just like to dress up and punch each other. And I didn't love the movie, but I did find that kind of refreshing. Right, you found it a little charming. Now, what movies would you bucket into the whole overlong and rife with metaphor? Is that like Batman v Superman? Is it also Civil War is my question. Yeah, very That's, much. Yes, absolutely. But absolutely both of those. I think uh, you know, Batman versus Superman was worse than Civil War at doing basically the same thing. But you know, they were both very concerned uh, with... Like Civil War was trying to to try was trying to use the superheroes as a way uh, to talk about you know like civilian casualties and and there was all this all these machinations of the UN like I'm supposed to care about the UN when I want to go see a superhero movie no thank you <laughs> all right um, I mean that's a fair point that's a fair point so Vince liked how. Uh, in inconsequential, <laughs> inconsequential, and kind of unapologetic, Suicide Squad was about what it wanted to be. Jeff Kanata. Oh man, you go to Devendra. <laughs> <laughs> All right, All right. Pass for now. Devendra yeah. Hardwar. <laughs> I uh, can, can, can I go back to Jeff? Yeah, all right, you go. <laughs> Jeff. I go mean, ahead. no, no. It's uh, it's. Yes. This movie. Can I call um, this a flawless, flawless victory? If neither of them want to talk, I'm just gonna drop the mic. Like, there here. we go. You know, Vince, I I would love if this movie was actually entertaining to me and fun. Like, I I, I would actually like a big dumb turn off your brain sort of superhero movie. We already uh, we already got it. Like it's called Deadpool. Hardcore Henry. Or yeah, it came it's out true. earlier this Hardcore year. Henry. Deadpool. Deadpool also, yeah, yeah, pretty much sort of like that. I was actually aching to rewatch Punisher Warzone after seeing this too because it's like that's another like bright glitzy kind of dumb uh, take on superheroes, but it's a lot of fun. This movie, I hear people call it fun and i just i didn't have any fun with it maybe because i was just rolling my eyes the entire time um i there are some individual pieces of it that are great i think viola davis is fantastic here even though she doesn't have much to work with uh but her persona it's mainly just her being badass and standing up to supervillains and basically making them do whatever she wants she's really the villain of this entire thing uh and she is very good at that um, she she is more scary and evil than the actual Suicide Squad. Oh no, for sure. Yeah, yeah, there's. We'll talk about. Yeah, stuff we'll talk about. Spoilers, but there's yeah. like one random scene where I was just like, "Whoa, what?" <laughs> in a in a movie, we just saw like yeah, uh, ace assassins and murderers and whatever. Uh, and also Joel Kinnaman, a guy I I love because of the killing and because of a bunch of things. Um, he has not really had good luck in the movie, you know, uh, making actual movies, right? He had RoboCop and that kind of fell apart. You know, I had a lot of fun with that. Uh, I think he's a good, um, he's sort of like a good 
I don't know, centerpiece for this team as the person who's like trying to uh, keep all these super villains in check. He plays like his... Rick Flag because nothing Flagg. is subtle in this film. <laughs> nothing is subtle. Yeah. Um, so there's that. Those, those are kind of the things I liked about it. But from the beginning, this movie is just kind of a mess. Like we're introduced to Harley Quinn. Uh, we're introduced to uh, Deadshot. Uh, cut to you know Viola Davis's character. All of a sudden, the title card comes in at a, just like seemingly a random moment. <laughs> This movie seems like it was edited by a child or somebody who just has no clue how to, like, I don't know, put the piece of film together. Um, the and then shortly change- after, we're introduced to uh, Deadshot and Harley yes, Quinn again. 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 And, and we- how are we introduced to them? A person <laughs> takes out a file yeah. and goes, here's this person. Cut to that person. It is, it is that Batman <laughs> versus Superman. Let's look at the, uh, the you know, uh, the files on these people uh, right. where Wonder Woman did that for like maybe a couple of minutes. This is like a whole hour of that, right? It just That's feels like a whole of hour <laughs> of introductions. Yes. And then it's also like the film doesn't feel like it can, uh, I don't know, sustain itself based on the script or the actors or whatever. Cause like every two minutes there's a different popular song playing. It just feels like a weird mishmash of a bunch of things. I wish I had more fun with it. Uh, I was just kind of bored with everything happening. The action is dull and boring. Um, Margot yeah, Robbie was fun. Will Smith is fun. They have good chemistry, but Margaret, you could put Margot Robbie in anything and she'll make it fun. Uh, we'll talk more about Margot Robbie, um, her Harley Quinn and the Joker. Because that is, there are so many problems there. Yeah, that is I, I can't wait to relationship. Dis- yeah, yeah, I can't wait to dismantle this movie with you guys in depth in the spoiler section. Uh, yeah. But yeah, Jeff, let's just get your brief impressions and then we'll go to spoilers yeah. pretty quickly. Uh, it brings me no pleasure to do this, and <laughs> I, I just want people to know that right off the top because there are so many people that think that I have I don't understand why I get this feedback from people that think that I I have it out for DC movies nothing would make me happier than to be able to go to a DC cinematic universe film and come out of it and praise it there's no I I was hoping for this movie for so long I was I I put a lot of a lot of uh, faith in the fact that th- this might be the one that I could go to and have a blast and be able to come out and say yes they did one they did a good one I want that. I want that so badly. You guys don't understand. I, I, you give yourself not, a pep talk in the mirror about like yeah. the next DC movie that you're going to like? Yeah, I could do it, guys. They can do it. I can do it. We can do it together. Um, because, you know, I praise the Marvel films and I say I'm a Marvel zombie from way back. I am indeed. I do enjoy those comics more than DC when I was a kid. Like that, Yes. But that doesn't mean I don't want these movies to be good. And it's soul-crushing. To come out of this movie and feel the way I did, which is soul crushed. Uh, <laughs> it, it, this movie eats souls. <laughs> Wait, um, Jeff, is it soul crushing or soul eating? I don't understand. Uh, it crushes and then eats. You know, it, it masticates <laughs> <Consumes>. the souls. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, so everything Devinder said is right. Um, I do enjoy Margot Robbie quite a bit, although she's completely exploited in this film in, in a really kind of gross way. But. Um, I think she's charming and fun, and Will Smith is kind of incapable of not being charming, even though they do everything mm-hmm. they can to make him not charming. Um, and and the structure of the film doesn't make any sense. The plot of the film doesn't make any sense. Uh, they literally, literally create the problem that they have to solve. Literally. Um, it, 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 as you said, the the wall to wall music is grating. It's like somebody left on like one hundred and five, the Eagle. You know, it's like all like <laughs> classic rock music. 
uh, it, it it makes they're trying to create this thing with a sense of verisimilitude and groundedness and grittiness, and yet the the very premise, which is, hey, yeah, I'm going to release people that we should definitely not release for a very specific purpose, which the purpose is unspecific. Uh, but a a Superman's terrifying, so we're back to Superman being terrifying. Like, what if Superman's terrifying? That's we better release. Uh, psycho killers out into the world because Superman could be worse, um, and and I've got these this this roster of people. I got a guy who doesn't ever miss a shot. Oh wow, that's pretty impressive. Yeah, let's do that. I've got uh, a guy who's a giant crocodile and has all the properties of a crocodile. Wow, that's pretty impressive. Uh, definitely, we, we maybe should we might need that guy. Oh, okay, well I've got uh, a guy who throws a boomerang. Wait, what? <laughs> What? Well, he's a, you, you know, he's a with, the, with the bow and arrow guy, Jeff. You got to have like a direct uh, competition there. Well, it's but okay. Bow and arrow guy is an actual like government agent. This is a <laughs> this is a hardened killer who who we think is so valuable to us that we're going to release him from prison out into the wild yep. because his boomerang skills are unmatched. And you know, I understand that this is canon from the comics, right? But the the idea of Harley Quinn. I like the idea that you're willing to accept the croc man, but then the yeah. boomerang guy. You're like, wait a second. No, but I, th- I think I think Jeff has a good point. Like, like at least with the croc person, it's like, okay, I can see why you'd use this person instead of someone from right. SEAL Team 6. This is terrifying. Yeah. This person yeah, he's can got, swim. He has le- legitimate skills that don't yeah. exist in nature. Like, that's but, pretty But, incredible. Jeff, he can turn his boomerang into a drone. And we don't have the technology for drones, so that was set up really well. Than, how is that any different than the bow and arrow guy and jujitsu lady from from the Avengers? They are not criminals. They're not <laughs> psychopathic. <laughs> oh, so now okay, it's so I mean, it, it, it is just as unbelievable. Yeah, they they all stand out as like no, the no. weaklings. And like, 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 yeah, Jeff, bring it home. Bring it home, Jeff. The, the logic of the regular soldiers that we have in our military are uh, not up to the task of defeating a superhero. What we need is boomerang guy and crazy girl with a baseball bat. Like those are the only skill set that could possibly be up to the task of a super powered fight. Like that's exactly the same as the Avengers. No, no. no the Avengers are trained government agents. They are not so the idea. Oh God! So, no, so the difference listen, is that one is a government agent. That's the whole difference. That's the problem. Yes, That's yes. The problem. The Part of it does is, seem like they're trained, right? Because what, what is Harley Quinn's thing? She <laughs> she's crazy. She's unpredictable, yeah, and that's it. That, that's it's all. Not just that they're trained. It's that there is no risk in yeah. releasing them out into the world. Like we are, they're asking. She in the the entire first hour of this movie is her sitting in a cafe with other dudes, government dudes, to asking them to release insane murderers out into the world because they're the only people that can do this. Mm-hmm. That's the premise. And the Avengers aren't doing that. The Avengers are like, this. these people are already working for the government. We have this awesome lady who, who can swing on a rope, and we have an awesome dude who uses a bow and arrow, but they are under our employ and they're the best agents that we have. Like I'm not I'm not arguing that Captain Flag shouldn't be a part of the team. He's a <laughs> part of the government agency, right? They are she's literally asking them to release murderers from prison because the murderer guy can throw a boomerang really well. Like that's anyway. 
the it's premise is dumb. I don't, but like the part where you're saying the characters individually are dumb, I'm like they're kind of the same as all, like. Uh, yeah, well, there's a lot of I, I think Jeff has I think Jeff has made the case, and listeners can agree or disagree. <laughs> I agree with Jeff that there's a different category between Deadshot, who's like the best shot in the world, and just some crazy woman with a bat. Uh, I'm but not, I'm, not, I'm not also not criticizing the characters. I think maybe you're getting hung up on the fact that I'm criticizing the characters. I'm criticizing the way the logic of the movie mm-hmm. is framed. I'm saying if they had come up with a different way to bring these characters out of prison? Like, if they've come up with a, a reason why we need Harley Quinn or a reason why we need Boomerang Dude, but she literally just sits there with a file and says, these are the people we need. And it's like, why? Why those people? It doesn't make any goddamn it, sense. It kind of reminded me of uh, X-Men Apocalypse, when Apocalypse is like, I, I got I to gotta find the best, the best <laughs> mutants, the most powerful in the world. And you're like, you right. them? <laughs> right. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Anyway, we got we got hung up on that, but it's I think it's a significant point because the the this movie like, like doesn't hold up to the just uh, most basic logic test. And it's a superhero movie. I get it, but I feel like it's lazy. It's a lazy uh, framing of this fiction where it could have been a really cool framing of the fiction. There there is a a universe in which Make like have focusing on the bad guys is a fun, cool thing, and this movie just doesn't get there for me. Also, but, uh, Jeff, one of them has a daughter. I know. So, so that's the other thing that I hesitate to even go go here because I know it's going to cause a lot of people to send me angry emails. But I also think this wor- this this movie makes the world a worse place. I think I think this movie is not just a bad movie, although it is also a bad movie, but it also like puts it like poisons the culture. And I hate that. I really I think really... this movie created Donald Trump, right? Well, it certainly yeah. feels like a Trumpian film. Well, yeah, why is that, Jeff? Let's just dive into that a little bit. Like why do you think it makes that's a pretty big claim is what I'm I know. And I know I'm going to get a lot of hate. Yeah. From this, so just but... defend yourself, sir. So I have no problem with dark and gritty. I, I really don't. I know everybody thinks that because of the things I've said about Batman v Superman and Man of Steel that I feel like every movie has to be good for kids. And I do not. I, I like Deadpool. I loved Hardcore Henry. I, that movie's great. And that's a, actually the perfect comparison. I'm not even going to compare this mm-hmm. to any Marvel thing. Hardcore Henry is the perfect comparison because it's having a blast. And it it is irreverent and fun, and and it has a, a good time within its own fiction. And I don't have to completely shut off my brain, although the leaps of logic are are actually a blast to be a part of. And and there's somebody to root for, and there's sort of a context and all that stuff. This this movie asks us to start to root for people who are despicable, and there's really no glimmer of goodness anywhere in it it's terrible people and worse people and then worse people than that well it it tries it tries a little to introduce pathos in some of the characters but i it almost feels forced too i don't even think it's pathos is enough it it needs to like the there is no (laughs) there is no redeeming like the like you say uh deadshot has a daughter but every time we see her with him 
It's a terrible thing. It's like, my God, get this man away from her. <laughs> Protect. The I, I do wonder why uh, the do- like why his ex wife or whatever allows him to even be in contact with that daughter because <laughs> the clearly they know he's he's a world famous assassin. So. Right. Yeah. Right. Every so, time the daughter's with him, she's in danger. <laughs> and, and the I know I'm going on too long here, but the and the, this we're going to talk a lot about I'm sure about the relationship of Harley Quinn and Joker, but it is yes. abusive and gross, and it is held up by this movie as the like central love story that we're supposed to root for, and and I think that's the sort of theme of the whole film. Everything that we're supposed to root for is feels so gross. Uh, the you know the big moment where one of the characters who literally has like changed his life and decided not to kill people anymore the the thing that the movie is like the rousing speech he's talked into being violent again like <laughs> huzzah he did it he we talked him into murdering people it just feels so gross and wrong especially in the sort of cultural climate we're in right now and i know um, loading it with baggage but that's how it landed on me all right uh i i think that goes a little bit too far in my opinion but uh i don't disagree with the overall sentiment of that uh i'll just say a couple brief words and then let's get into spoilers uh i i agree with everything that you guys said i thought the movie was a mess i actually thought the first 20 to 30 minutes of this film were really fun. Like, I was... Even with the two introductions of Harley Quinn and Deadshot, and arguably Deadshot gets a third introduction when he is on the firing range, the movie feels really hastily edited, hacked together. But uh, I I can't deny that I had a lot of fun during that first 20 minutes when they're, like, cutting to each of the characters and giving them each a backstory. Uh, I I enjoyed that. And I was like, wow, I'm in. I'm, like, I'm bought into this. Uh, the first time we see Enchantress, like that reveal is super cool. Uh, and so I-, I was like on board with this film and then it very, very, very rapidly fell apart for me. Um, <laughs> just the whole plot and then the finale is ridiculous. Uh, and I'm not going to talk about it right now, but just it, it – I feel bad for some of the actors involved with that finale sequence uh, because sure. I think it's going to be hard to come back from. Uh, so overall, I thought the film was a, a kind of a disaster. Uh, for all the hype of Jared Leto's Joker, he's barely in the film, and he is completely superfluous to it. Uh, yeah. And uh, you know, and the, terrible. <laughs> well, let's talk about that in a little bit. But I, he's trying to do like what seems to be a combo of like Heath Ledger's Joker and uh, Nicholson's uh, you, Joker. Uh, Nicholson's Joker, or uh, actually, I was going to say Jesse Eisenberg. Uh, Luther from Batman well, I, v Superman. Like it's. A I walked out of this, this movie. I walked out of this movie and said I liked Jesse Eisenberg's Joker more than Jared Leto's. <laughs> in some ways, I mean, Jared Leto didn't creepily feed anyone a Jolly Rancher in this film. So uh, <laughs> I mean, he did offer up his his lady to another dude. As, yeah, that's pretty bad. So, anyway, like as as much as I hated this movie, I actually. I didn't totally hate what Jared Leto was doing. It's just that we don't have enough of him to justify like that insane. Like that, that sort of character in his performance. Like we, we just don't have enough with him to tell what's going on there. It's also weird. Joker's kind of a big deal in this universe, and the movie just kind of just—he's just there. He, well, point, I think they're clearly setting him up for a future film. I know, right? I yeah. know. But when you introduce this, is a, this is a big deal. This is a major character. 
you know, major cast change and everything, there was no any sort of like introduction. There wasn't any sort of like kind of hyping up why he's even there. And that's kind of something I found throughout the movie too. Like in those flashback sequences, some of them were good, but they weren't like visually interesting. There was no real rhythm to any of it. It just seemed like, okay, we got to get through all this crap just so we can get to another laser in the sky. Maybe they saw Jared Leto's performance and they're like, eh, maybe this guy shouldn't be that much in the movie. <laughs> maybe this character yeah. isn't that important. Maybe. Guys, uh, I, think, I think we really need to start coming to terms with the possibility that Jared Leto used his performance in this film simply as an excuse to be an asshole to everyone in this film. Like, <laughs> like in real life, you know, you've heard all the stories of he's like mailing used condoms and dead pigs to people. Uh, really upsetting behavior that under any normal circumstances would be uh, almost illegal, right? Yeah. Like against the law in some ways. And uh, he was barely in this movie. So like what was all that for? I'm, I'm casting like a side eye at this guy. I like the idea like that no been... one realized that he was an asshole until he started yeah. playing the Joker. This is a guy that won the Oscar and then dedicated it to like the the starving peoples of the world. Jared Leto was always an asshole. Like yes. if you didn't notice yes. it until now, you weren't paying attention. Oh, okay, no, that's fair. Lo- that's fair criticism. I love we just idea... gave him a platform. <laughs> I love the idea that that Dave just put forward that like mailing a dead pig and used condoms to people would be fine if he was just more in this movie. <laughs> That's right. That he is the bigger part. Than he could have earned those actions. Yeah, he could have you know? earned those deplorable actions <laughs> if he had um, delivered an Oscar-winning performance here. Yeah. I don't think. I don't know. I don't think we can say he's an asshole categorically. Like that's kind of personal. <laughs> I was yeah. kind of being facetious for that. that. <laughs> I was being facetious for that whole thing. But anyway, guys, it sounds like you know, three of us didn't like the movie. Uh, Vince uh, did kind of enjoy the film for what it was. Uh, yeah, he even, said a lot of negative stuff for a guy that liked the movie. <laughs> yeah. I, I want to talk before we get into spoilers. I do want to hear more from you, Vince, about like you know other other bits that you like. Well, I want to know like you guys seem hung up on the idea that you're supposed to root for all these people or that you were supposed to think they were good people. Like, of course, like no, I don't think you were supposed to think they were good at all. Like they were actual villains and they made them <laughs> villainy. Yeah, no, uh, I get that, but that the tone of that is so nihilistic and and dark that I. Brought me no joy. Like there's I, no. I, yeah, I, I actually completely disagree with Jeff on this one. That I don't think the villains were villainy enough. I mean, at one point Harley Quinn says, "We're the bad guys," and I, I she has to say it. They have to spend all this time saying it because really they don't act that bad. To be honest with you, like they, if if you actually put psychotic killers in the situation, they would not behave as docile like as these people do in the film. Uh, and so we, we, I, we hear about it. We hear that Harley Quinn has like killed. Yeah, we hear we hear about it's all it's it's an example yeah. of telling and not showing, in my opinion. Yeah. And so I actually completely disagree with Jeff. I think that I think that Jeff is right that the film celebrates nihilism and violence and bro culture and what have you. But I don't think that it's one of its main problems is that it makes it that it celebrates the evil nature of its characters. Because I don't think it, I don't think it does that enough. To be honest with you, so and that would that would be a much more difficult and a much darker film. Yes. maybe closer to probably what David Ayer was trying to make. Yeah, yeah, there, there is that. I don't. We'd have to see the differences in the cuts. I mean, just not even counting the way the film is edited. From what we see, like the way they try to introduce Pathos into Will Smith's character and Diablo's character, who there's some really interesting stuff going on there actually. 
Um, but yeah, the movie just doesn't do enough to make us actually care, I guess. It all feels very pre-programmed. Like, I think the moment where Will Smith is looking at just a, a fucking mannequin in a store window, <laughs> it's like, oh, I have a daughter of that a proportional size. <laughs> with, I, a, with a big Watchmen a uh, sign in the background. Uh, yeah. But yeah, Vince, going back to you, you know, wh- what else did you uh, appreciate about this film? If not Jared Leto's star-making performance as Joker, what else did you like i guess uh like the way that they depicted these bad guys it reminded me a lot of people i met at the gathering of the juggalos where there's like (laughs) this where there's this idea of like performative like oh society thinks i'm so bad but then you scratch the surface and they're kind of just like a a teen acting out and then in that you know they have like a screwy childhood or whatever um i thought that was interesting also missionaries yeah yeah, and, and 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 yeah, exactly. Well, and then you know, I think Jeff was talking about like he did, he wanted it set up like the like there should have been more of setup of of the bad guy and like the sky portal. And I'm not saying like this is an entirely good thing. Like that was a mess, but mm. I like the fact that I didn't have to watch an extra 25 minutes of them <laughs> setting up the stupid <laughs> sky portal that's in every superhero movie anyway. Like they're just like, oh, guess what? There's a sky portal here. Here that's it is. Thing. I was like, all right, well, at least I didn't have to watch setup for that. Mm. Uh, uh, that is a pretty weak defense, Vince. I, I mean, I think that... It's bad, but it's expedient. Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yes. Yeah. At like, least it wasn't two hours and 40 minutes long, you know? <laughs> okay. All right, at yeah, least, guys, this is, this is the biggest defender we could find on Suicide Squad. Uh, all right, let's, uh, uh, let's get to spoilers for Suicide Squad starting right now. Now you're looking for the secret. Genesis coming. No, but you won't find it because, of course, they're not going to see this coming. You're not really looking. I have been puzzling over how it works. You don't really want to work it out. Who's in the box? I have been dying to tell you. I want to tell you my secret. You want to be fooled. Okay, for, first thing, guys, uh, R.I.P. Slipknot <laughs> was introduced. Was like, oh, by the way, we got this other dude. He just enters the plane, and then he dies five minutes later. Right? <laughs> that was hilarious. That was hilarious because you're like, you're like, why didn't they introduce that guy? Oh, that's oh. why they didn't, he didn't get an well, introduction. My favorite thing uh, structurally is literally she's got the the file and we're giving everybody their origin story, and then Katana shows up and it's like, oh yep. fuck, I forgot, I forgot to. But she's not one of the bad ones. She's part of Rick Flag's team. But Although we do for like some quick- reason. We still do a quick origin yep. story for her that just feels like shoehorned into that moment. Like, ah, shit, we totally forgot. We can't go back and re-edit the beginning. Let's just do it right now. <laughs> also, We're doing it live, guys. <laughs> yeah. We're doing it live. Uh, uh, yeah. yeah, so Slipknot's introduced. Uh, but And they explain his power, but not before. a very uh, generous term for what they do for Slipknot. Yeah, so they, they introduce him. He shows up, and then he, punch, he punches a woman in the face <laughs> and says... She had a mouth on her, and the audience laughs because that's how this movie treats women. Harley Quinn uh, is able to fight bad guys with a baseball bat, but usually not while wearing pants for some reason. Um, Yeah, I I love that. We we sent you guys a box of all the stuff you'll need to fight the bad guys. Uh, Here, Deadshot, here's your full body armor and highly technical (laughs) weaponry. Uh, Boomerang guy, here's a whole box of boomerangs. One of them's a drone. Uh, hey, Harley Quinn, you get uh, some bikini bottoms and a yeah. baseball bat. Shorts, two sizes too small, and a bat. There you go. Let's talk about 
the the Joker plotline. Firstly, guys, Joker was in this movie for as long as Batman was in this movie. <laughs> kind of cool, maybe, right? Maybe a little, maybe a little more. The Batman but, stuff was cool. I was digging the Batman stuff. Oh, you mean the part when he uh, rescues Harley Quinn and creepily gives her CPR? Is that what you're talking about, Jeff? Well. <laughs> Uh, I thought that was cool. I thought that like underwater, her pretending to be dead—that's how nuts she is. She like she literally like. And then he yeah, that was that was a cool moment when she and he punches her in the face. Yeah. yeah, yeah, he did punch her. There's a lot of ladies getting punched in the face. In <laughs> Batman. Yeah. I mean, just to put this out there, I think this is supposed to be set in the criminal underworld, and I, I don't think that they're necessarily uh, too too forgiving to to their ladies. I think that might have been true to the fact that they're supposed to be scumbags. I do feel mm. like though, if you're gonna do that. Make it make it fucking despicable. No, don't make it something that the audience is kind of cheering for. Because I also heard yeah. that in my theater. That too. is my yeah. entire point of this entire. That's my entire point with the whole the whole thing yeah. is why I feel like it's kind of culture poison. <laughs> is the, we are asked. It's not just that they show these horrible things. It whatever. Fine. Make a dark movie. Make make it about the villains. Yeah, but it's like how cool. Uh, you know, Viola Davis wastes five dudes in the room, and he goes, "Gangster, fuck you, movie." That's gro- it's gro- it's gross. It's gross. <laughs> All right, I mean, guys. That that moment was, I think, one of the few memorable moments of the movie because it just kind of happens out of nowhere. And then we do we even know those guys were in the room? It just seems like sort of like a random thing. But guys, yeah, let's talk about the crazy plot of this film now. Per Vince, uh, per Vince's comment, you know, arguably one of the positives is that this movie just fast forwards past uh, a lot of the, uh, I don't know, connective tissue that I, I would yeah. deem as essential to sure. build up a, uh, a decent plot. Uh, but, uh, you know, the fact that it's not super long is, I guess, a plus. Uh, I think a really good description of this plot actually comes from your colleague over at Uproxx, Vince. Mike Ryan wrote a, mm. wrote a fun review of this film. Mike Ryan here from Uproxx describing the plot of this film. Uh, one night, June Moore, played by Cara Delevingne, turns into Enchantress and teleports to Midway City. She finds a stranger in a train station bathroom and turns him into her brother. At As no point is it ever mentioned that she has this ability. Well, no, it, no, no. <laughs> it's, it's before she steals her brother, which is in a jar, just sitting. <laughs> just just yeah. sitting yeah. in like Davis's apartment. Yeah. Sitting in almost the next scene, Rick Flagg and June Moon, they are in love, by the way, are both in Midway City <laughs> on a mission to destroy Enchantress's brother with a bomb. Moon becomes Enchantress and double-crosses Rick. Amanda oh, Waller no. starts stabbing Enchantress's heart, but it doesn't kill her because Enchantress's supernatural brother has the power to fix all that. Then, in the very next scene, Rick is back in Louisiana training the Suicide Squad like nothing just happened. Anyway. My favorite thing is that we see all of that again at the end. Yes. Like, it's a yes. big reveal. Like, we, no, we all, didn't we already see all this? We saw all this. And they're like, oh, yeah, remember when you saw all that, though? Before, it didn't <laughs> make sense. Now it makes sense, right? Enchant- no. Enchantress and her brother then spend the rest of the movie dancing around a train station, building some sort of portal, <laughs> and turning citizens of Midway City into blob monsters with an end goal of taking over the world. Uh, at, at least, no, she's, I think, she's just building a device. I right? think that's she's, the goal. It's a little unclear because they never really get that far from the Midway City train station. And yes. that becomes the Suicide Squad's first mission to rescue an unnamed important person from Enchantress who most of them never even got a chance to meet, even though she was briefly a team member. End quote. So, 
like just to play devil's advocate here, Please. I mostly think this movie's pretty dumb. But the <laughs> fact that the government that the that the woman putting together this team of mercenaries created her own problem that they then have to go and fight is pretty accurate to the way a lot of foreign <laughs> policy works. Uh, but Vince, I thought you didn't want this to be related to the real world. Oh snap! Uh, yeah, it's you know, Vince. I think there there's kernels of correctness and insight in what you're saying i but at the same time i feel like there's kind of no winking acknowledgement to that do you know like i feel like if so you that like was, you want to be winked at i feel like if you want to differentiate between knowing metaphor spreading like what you're describing and just playing out uh incompetence and in script writing like you need to have some something there uh, it doesn't add up to anything there's no the, there's no point to the fact that she created the problem it just feels lazy right it's like yeah yeah, like and if the villains yeah, and were it may be, that but out. it's like I don't know. I feel like the you know Civil War and Batman versus Superman spend like thirty minutes of the running time being like, "Do you see what I'm doing here? Let me guide you through the metaphorical levels." And it's like, "Yes, I see what you're doing here. Just, just, just do it." <laughs> like at least, yeah. like for all its faults, at least Suicide Squad just does it without trying to tell you exactly what it's doing at every single moment of the movie. I mean, speaking yeah, of just, just doing it, Viola Davis's Amanda Waller character. Straight up murders like five interns. Uh, why? Why did she do that? Like, do, do we? Do we? I mean, that's what we were talking about. I think it's one of the few memorable moments in the movie, right? Because at the end, she's like, "Oh, they didn't have clearance for yeah. any of this." So they're they just didn't dead. have clearance for any of this. So I had to kill them. Wouldn't all. you think about that before you like bring them into your <laughs> your whole team or something? Uh, so Vince, I give I maybe give the movie a little bit of credit for just going straight to the stupidity of the main plot mm-hmm. and the main villain. Uh except um the enchantress and her brother look god awful. Yeah. Like there's nothing <laughs> about that design or even the way like her brother looks like I can't tell is he CG or just like really bad like camera orientation magic making him bigger, but it looks like something from a game on the PlayStation 1. And, Cara Delevingne yeah. is yeah. literally left to twist in the wind in this yep. movie. <laughs> uh, my, my favorite thing is that we see the the, the uh, monster get created, which, by the way, pretty awesome effect of like those bodies jumbling together. And yeah, fun. I like the multiple eyes. That's kind of. Yeah. I, I was still on then, board with the movie at that point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and then we see, and then we see the like the tentacle action of like going through the pillars and just wiping people out. All of that visually very very cool. And this villain seemed extremely powerful and amazing. And then the next th- time we see a threat happen, <laughs> we're in a helicopter. And that helicopter is shot down. And I was like, who's shooting at them? Who, who has – who's shooting? And they get shot down and now we're on the ground and they're wandering around. And the movie d- makes no reference to the fact that, hey, isn't it weird that we were shot at? Like we didn't expect to get shot at because we were going after this monster that with tentacles. And no one seems to mind yeah. that there was – people shooting their plane down and then we get to the ground and now there's an army of paramilitary bobbleheads and they're literally faceless infantry right Mm -hmm. but that's that's played as some sort of reveal but like for a a good five minutes we're completely i felt completely baffled like why is no one commenting on the fact that no one expected them to get shot down you know like at this Mm -hmm. point the movie had not established any thing would shoot at them yeah. yeah, that was I like my the idea that they had this. They had this like crazy 
bad guy that can you know shoot his tentacles and take down planes, and then and then they built this whole team of of supervillains to take him out, and then they take him out with a bomb because clearly yeah. you need like yeah. a team of supervillains to plant a bomb. Right? Yeah, you can't like send a nuke in there or missiles or anything like that. There, the the supernatural being's one weakness is explosives, guys. Uh, but uh, well, it's so it's so it's so weak that. It can manifest a dude's daughter in front of him, but it can't just teleport the bomb away or do something due to the bomb. <laughs> After like it has teleportation time. powers have been established, yeah. It has it has it has time to register the threat and decide to manifest the guy's daughter. Which, by the way, another thing that makes this movie gross. Uh, the big heroic thing he does is ignore the pleading of his daughter. Well, why is it? <laughs> what, what is the daughter even saying? Don't shoot that pack of explosives. Like, why? Why does? Why does well, she no, care about the explosions? She's saying, don't, don't be kill an that evil man. man. Don't yeah. be a bad person. But he's, he's trying to kill the evil thing by shooting a pack of explosives. Like, there's nothing evil about that, guys. He's not yeah. shooting anyone uh, except this evil thing. All right. So Are I want to say where the, the movie scene? where the movie definitively failed for me. Like, there's a moment in the movie where I thought to myself, this movie did not earn what just happened on screen. And that's when the Suicide Squad decides to stay together at the end. Like, you need, to, you need to really feel that, hey, this is a family, Juggalo style, right? That, hey, we're all messed up in some way, but we're family, we're getting together, we're sticking together. You mean the scene where they all go and have a drink for no Yeah, they have a drink in the, ba- in the bar. Why and then Tana go with them? And then she's uh, Rick Flag's buddy? Jai Courtney flees mm-hmm. when he realizes that the uh, explosives are disabled and then yeah. just shows up later again with no explanation. Uh, and you know these, you have to believe that these people are willing to stick together as a family, and I just did not because there is nothing there. There is yeah. nothing nope. there to make I, you feel like these people would have any attachment to each other other than for their own self-interest. The, the uh, other, and, and that's the really where the line, movie fails for me. Go ahead, Jeff. The great line there is uh, is Will Smith going, "We almost did it," and I went to my, I, I went, "Did what? <laughs> what did you almost do?" Like he literally goes, he goes. We got real close, guys. We almost did it. Did did what? <laughs> did what? the thing, the thing like, in the plot. <laughs> There's no, it's so unclear as to mm-hmm. what they even were almost doing. It, <sighs> yeah. Well, Amanda Waller uh, creates the Suicide Squad. Uh, the Suicide Squad results in the problem that the Suicide Squad then needs to solve. The first on that list is rescuing Amanda Waller. <laughs> she, she, uh, so, yeah, I, I, Vince, you're, you are correct to, to some degree that uh, the government does often create problems, which then it spends massive amounts of, prob- uh, of money and resources solving. Uh, but uh, it doesn't necessarily make for compelling movie watching mm-hmm. uh, when everyone's going to try and rescue this mysterious person who then turns out to be a person we saw in the opening scene who's responsible for everything <laughs> I, I thought it was yeah. gonna be like a nice fun reveal or something like maybe a character we hadn't yeah seen maybe it was like bruce wayne before. you know like yeah, the to, it would be like something. something crazy um also one of the big questions of this movie for me is why uh have cara delavine as a villain if Joker is in the movie, like you have a perfectly good villain that people already there's name recognition, brand recognition for for Joker, why not have Joker be the villain? I don't understand he's, he's why that was not the, the case. villain. How, you, you expect Joker to shoot a beam up into the sky, Dave? Come on, <laughs> he's not uh, going to shoot any beams up in the sky. We need like at least one sky beam, or there's no yeah. movie. N- another thing I really love about this film, I'm just bringing up random things at this point, is. Yeah. 
the Jay Hernandez character who plays what Pyro or whatever. What is what is that guy's name? Diablo. I don't know. Diablo. Diablo. Sorry, I'm thinking of X Men. Uh, yes. So uh, Diablo, uh, he has horrifying tattoos all over his face, and then in flashbacks you see his wife. <laughs> He, at dinner, he, with he still family. he still has the tattoos in the flashbacks. It's not like he got them recently. It's like something from Children's Hospital, of just like insanity, <laughs> trying to be right near normal. Is, so he's like, what is happening? And she and she 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 she's like she puts like uh, money and drugs on the table, and she's like, "How could you bring this into our home?" Like she's completely shocked that Diablo, this guy with all these horrifying tattoos, I thought he, I thought he just like skulls, might be evil. <laughs> Dave, don't, you know, don't uh, just stereotype tattoos. You know, if you have face tattoos, you might just be really into face tattoos. It's true. Maybe you're a nice person. It's true. I do do think that it's funny that we're meant to believe – it seemed pretty clear that she was about to fillet him at one point. (laughs) Like that was his – when he's in the dream of like the best day and she like like leans into his crotch and is like, let me take care of you. I was like, oh, all right. Here we go. I mean, routine. that would be a pretty good day, though. <laughs> yeah, you're right. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, what did you think of the ending of this movie, Vince Vancini from Film Drunk? Like, did you think it was... Uh... <laughs> it was bad. <laughs> I'm not going to defend the ending. It was real bad. <laughs> I mean, my, my defense is that at least it didn't waste my time explaining it's bad. <laughs> By that point, you were just so bludgeoned that you were just glad yeah. for it to be over. Well, I just yeah, like I don't. I've I've never really cared about the justification for the sky laser. Right. So right. the fact that they didn't explain the sky laser wasn't really like a big drawback for so me. So mach- she was building a machine, though, right? That's all. That's all we heard. So why was there yeah, even a sky machine. laser? We love our machines, see, Vincenzo. Yes. We're a culture who's in love with machines instead yeah. of instead of magic. All right, so. Vince, I'm still trying to figure out like why you like this film. Is it that you think its badness is similar to other bad films that you like and find it comforting for that reason, or I just think it was a breezy. It was breezy in its badness, and uh, you know, it's like it, it, it wanted the it wanted it wanted to have its cake. It was just like a lot of frosting without without any cake, and I kind of. <laughs> I kind of enjoyed someone yeah. the idea of someone trying to do that, and it was it was it was silly. Like I mean, I'm definitely enjoying it at its expense in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Um, like in some ways, yeah. it's so bad it's good. You're saying? I think yeah, it's his sure. own Suicide Squad. Yeah. Well, you guys, <laughs> like, cyanide frosting. Up, yeah, I think like people are hung up on the idea, like, oh, these guys are scumbags, and it's like, well, yeah, I think that was kind of the point. Like they were they not. were bad, and and the government was bad at their job, and like yeah. that was kind of the point. They're not quite scumbags. Like I think that's my big thing, right? A team yeah. of misfits, which really harkens back to what made Guardians of the Galaxy so great, right? Like that whole idea is that they're just a bunch of assholes, and uh, you know, kind of rogues. The Guardians or whatever. of the Galaxy are lovable, though. Yeah, they're lovable assholes. And yet this movie tries to make these villains who are murderers. And clearly insane people, but tries really hard to make us care about them. And I think that also fails, too. Like, I actually would have given it more credit if it went all the way and, like, maybe went a little more hardcore in what it was doing. Like, sorry, Jeff. Like, I, uh, I know that would make it even worse for you. No, I but kind at least of that would commit that. to a vision. Yeah. yeah I, I kind of agree with that. I agree with That's that. That's my point is that it's not that – like I said, I don't have a problem mm-hmm. with dark and gritty. I tried to say it at the beginning. It's not that the dark and gritty is the problem. It's that – 
it's we're supposed to be like it's so awesome how how he wants to teach his girl to shoot he's using angles for shooting isn't that hilarious because we all at the like the tacit uh agreement that we all make with the movie that the movie thinks we're making with it is Mm -hmm. like we we can all agree that shooting guns is awesome, right, guys? We're, so let's just let's make you know murder and all that stuff. It's that's the fun stuff. So the way we'll humanize our despicable characters is by all relating to how great and fun it would be to just murder people. And it's like, well, or just be awful to women. Wouldn't wouldn't you love to punch a woman in the face? <laughs> yeah, that's why it's fun to hang out with these guys. Mm. It, it's like that. It's it's that dissonance to me that is so gross. Yeah. It's 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 not that the movie is dark. Like do dark. I I'm all for dark. I like dark stuff. But dark to m- sort of make me think about dark, not to sort of naturalize and normalize dark. That's what I think mm-hmm. this movie is doing. Yeah. Uh, let's talk briefly about the ending. And again, I'm going to read from Mike Ryan at Uprocks. Uh, I have this article pulled up right here. This is the ending of a film. Uh, and Mike Ryan here describes it, and you tell us what movie he's describing. Near the end of the film, after much buildup, our band of protagonists finally meet their foe. The foe in question is an ancient female spirit who stands atop a platform as lightning shoots everywhere. Our group of protagonists approach her from the steps below. The ancient female spirit then uses a mind trick on one of the protagonists, so then an image of something he loves appears before him. The protagonists then defeat the ancient spirit using a technique they swore they wouldn't use. After the battle, a protagonist mourns the loss of his loved one, who is trapped inside a demon, but oh wait, she's still alive and crawls out of the carcass of the now dead demon. Everyone rejoices. It's Ghostbusters. But enough about Ghostbusters. But enough about Ghostbusters, guys. I saw a review. I can't remember what it was. I saw a review where they described they only ever referred to the Enchantress as Gozer. (laughs) (laughs) It does borrow quite heavily from Ghostbusters. Can we agree? Just a little bit. I mean, I... First of all, most superhero movie endings are pretty terrible, honestly. Like, Last Acts is just where a lot of these, even the really good ones, like the first Iron Man, they all just tend to fall apart here. So, I, yeah, this one is bad, but it's just among a sea of uh, badness. I guess this one just kind of revels in it a little and gets us out of there quickly. The thing we have to talk about is Joker and Harley Quinn. Uh, before this review yeah. is over because uh jared leto's joker like i actually kind of like the the weirdness he was going for um although the tattoos and the grill and everything was a bit much uh but <laughs> it's almost as if they made the uh, the james franco character uh from spring breakers into the joker <laughs> and you guys have to see spring breakers because that movie is insane and great and also about like actually it is about villainry that is a better suicide squad movie than this one um but I kind of yeah, also the, feel. Let me just jump in real quick. I, I yeah. feel like uh, another way to describe his Joker is like all of the college kids that put the Scarface poster on yes. their dorm wall, but have never seen Scarface. <laughs> which like, is which is basically that James Franco character. Yeah. There, there's a scene where he's just like, "Look at all my shit." And uh, that's all we <laughs> see think, Joker doing. Like, Dave, you have I, to see that movie. That movie is insanely good. I think he stitches. I think the Joker yes. stitches the rapper, and then which is very similar to to Spring Breakers. Stitches is a, James isn't Franco. He a Florida rapper, right? Yeah, it's, it's all about Florida. He's, Florida excess, like that. Whatever Miami scene goes for, that is this Joker. 
I think the most distracting thing about Joker to me was just that he had tattooed the word damaged on his forehead. Well, how would you know, Dave? And <laughs> how would I know? Oh, how else damaged. would you know? I, yeah, just every time he was on screen, I just my eyes kept going to that word damaged, and I kept reading it over and over again because I'm like, why would he tattoo the word damage on his forehead? Anyway. People, people tattoo their attributes on their face in this universe. You just have to accept that. Uh, apparently, yeah. That's, that is the thing I could not accept to get wall. over. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, but the the Joker Holly Quinn relationship, right? That first of all, that's never been a great relationship. She was introduced in the animated series, um, and she's always kind of been like his lackey. But at least in that series, uh, there was a bit of like the sense that like yeah, the Joker had this girl who was pretty much under his control. Uh, but she was at least a little independent. She had a spunk of her own. Whereas this Harley Quinn, as much as like Margot Robbie inherits her with like a fierceness and independence. At the end of the day, I hated that flashback to her just wanting to be married to him and to have a kid with him because (laughs) this is a guy who uh, has tortured her with what uh, electrodes to her head, made her jump in a vat of acid. Was that was that uh, acid? How did they survive that? Do we know? Oh, super villains, Dave. It, it's it's apparently bad enough to melt off it your melted clothes. It melted off their clothes, yeah, but not enough to kill them. Super villains, Dave. It puts mm. weird makeup on you. That's yeah, what acid yeah. does. Apparently. Apparently. It makes whatever makeup you have on just stay on permanently. It's like Cressy the Clown. <laughs> yeah. You think this is makeup? Uh, yeah. It's concealer. So, <laughs> uh, and, and the scene with Common I thought was just ridiculous because yeah. because of the PG-13 rating, they didn't even really show what happened to Common. And I just found that I'm editing to be I'm also confused about what happened there. Because like, so clearly the Joker was just like fainting uh, or like making a feint of a decision to like offer her up. But the way he does it is really gross. And I guess Common did something to him. That yeah. Makes, why? Why? Maybe did he's just happen? pulling like a Joe Pesci in Goodfellas. Like he's like yeah. you know like there's a to random egg scene with trying to egg him on anywhere. Yeah. Uh, aren't the Joker and Harley Quinn supposed to have like a messed up? That's like, what I said. That's what that is. <laughs> I, I said that. Um, and yeah. that is like that is how that they relationship do. was always portrayed. But you can do that in a lot smarter way and definitely not a way that is just so grossly her about like uh, loving this relationship to you. I think the film revels in the fact that, first of all, you have Margot Robbie in short shorts really just wanting to get back to this abusive boyfriend. And Harley Quinn, like in the anime series, she, she, she's smart. She calls Joker out on his shit. She's not just like a ditz. Yeah, and also I think uh, people are disturbed by that vision that she has of them yes. in a domestic life. That's what I was saying, Because yeah. it implies, right, that, that that is what she actually wants mm-hmm. uh, as opposed to, like, theoretically what she wants is something far more uh, – for her to have kind of agency in this situation, she should th- theoretically want something that's far more twisted and disturbing mm-hmm. than that. And the uh, real end of the movie, by the way, is that Joker just, just saves her, even though clearly, like, she was already out and, like, she could have gotten out elsewhere too. Yeah, so you're so, saying that someone in a domestic in an abusive relationship should have a more should have a <laughs> a better idea of like what an ideal relationship is supposed to look I'm like. I'm saying a she movie has a, a movie up idea of what relationships uh, are supposed to be like, which is why she's in a, an abusive relationship. I mean, you're making excuses for why that character makes those decisions. I mean, yes, this is a problem in real life too. But you know, when you portray these things in art. Uh, you know, we could we could be a little smarter about how we're doing. No, the problem is that she her fantasy is to not be in an abusive relationship. Yeah, yeah. exactly, that's exactly. That's that's well, what. Why, why would that? Why would the that same be guy? An, an act? Yeah, because she's the the person who is abusing her is the object of her desire to not be abusive, 
And so every time that she goes back to him and he abuses her more is a fail. Like we're not. Isn't that exactly how an abusive relationship works? You think the other person's going to change, and like, oh, I think right. I think this person right. has it in them to be really good someday, and you keep going back, and they keep doing the same thing, but you still have this weird idea of them, uh, like, oh, I, I'm I'm loving him for the man that I think he could be. That, but that yeah, that is a nuanced story that can be told. That's not what we see here. We just see the basics of it, basically. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, this is of all of Vince's points. I think this is the one I probably have the most uh, sympathy for. <laughs> is that sure? I, I mean, I, that, like I mostly agree with your criticisms of this movie. <laughs> otherwise, but I think in this relationship, I thought this part was actually pretty accurate to how that would work. You could do that and also call Joker out on his shit, too, or at least well, make herself aware or something. The movie is holding up their relationship as the central love story of, yeah. of the film. I didn't, I didn't see it as doing that, but I mean, you, I you guess You don't think her, her reuniting with him is, <laughs> from the movie's perspective, a victory? I, um, well, yeah, yeah, I don't know. No. I don't know if I felt that way either, Jeff. I'm not, I'm not saying that the movie treats Harley Quinn well overall, but – this aspect of their relationship, like it's depicting an abusive relationship, whether it's celebrating that abusive relationship or not, I think is is in question for me. I think you're, you could very convincingly make the argument, Jeff, that it does celebrate it in a way that is disgusting. And I think a lot of people have that made the argument, but not necessarily. Right. Maybe yeah. we are meant to be disturbed by it. Uh, I, mean, I could also sure. see that argument as well. So. There, uh, what I'm saying is that there's a smarter way to do it. Right. If you really want to make it disturbing, uh I don't know. Well, they're, I, I they're, think I think the problem is there's just not enough there, yes, right? There's like, also, and also the central romance in the movie is actually Rick Flag and June Moon, which we see barely any of. But actually, that's one thing. Joel Kinnaman, I love that man and what he can do with such very little material. Like he 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 he, he sells the idea of this guy who's just kind of forced into this situation. He doesn't like um, you know Viola Davis's character either. Uh, but he's here to kind of save his, you know, the, the love of his life. Uh, he sells that. Unfortunately, we don't see enough of them either to make that worthwhile. Yeah. So I think one of the you, we're, I, I, we're pointing to one of the main problems of this film, which is that there were no previous setup films for any of these characters like Marvel mm-hmm. films do. Right. Imagine if there had been a Rick Flag June Moon film prior to this. Or imagine if there had been a Joker Harley Quinn film prior to this one that kind of set up those relationships. Then we would have far fewer issues with this film, I think, because uh, this movie just tries to cram in all these relationship dynamics into a very short running time and uh, largely fails, in my opinion, at doing that. I want to just hit on this point one more time because I I, I don't think you guys are right that it – Sure. It, it, we're supposed to be disturbed by the Joker Harley Quinn relationship. I I really believe that it, it is portrayed in the exact same light as the mm-hmm. relationship between Will Smith and his daughter. I think the Deadshot daughter relationship and the Harley Quinn Joker relationship are basically on the same vocabulary in the film, and that is our central characters want something, and we're supposed to be excited when they get it. And I think they are equally. Vile, like having that man have contact with his daughter and teach her that murdering people is actually cool, and uh, having Harley Quinn have contact with Joker, I think are equally disturbing, but not, but be, because of the way the movie frames them, not just because they're disturbing on the face of them. Like if if it was commenting on how disturbing that was, I I think it would be an interesting idea, but I think the 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 vocabulary of the movie is telling me that this is something I should root for and that this is something that is a victory when it's achieved. Like we get that fun moment with Will Smith and his daughter, but it, I, I think it's chilling. 
Yeah, there's yeah, also that moment. Seeing, I think you're seeing storyteller moralizing where there is none. Like I don't think you were like I don't think the movie was was trying to tell you to root for. I don't think I don't think Will I don't think Deadshot's relationship with his daughter was meant to be like held up as a good thing either. You don't think no. that mo- moment at the end where Captain Flag is looking at him and they have realized that they're bros and we're cool and I'm going to have to put these chains on you, bro, but you did a good thing and your reward is to be with your daughter for a second. All you wanted was to be with your daughter. You don't think that that's the same as in every other movie where our it, heroes... it is a reward scene. It's a victory yeah, scene. Yeah, absolutely. But I don't, I don't necessarily think that they were saying that his relationship with his daughter was healthy. I, I wish... The thing is, the movie never doesn't not say that right it, it portrays like this you know uh deadshot is a horrific assassin uh but he's still a person he's still a dad and he's still a nice guy deep down and that's that's the language the movie is going for yeah and i, I think, think uh, ha- i think he has he has like wants you know like he wants to be with his daughter but that doesn't mean it's saying that mm-hmm. him being with his daughter is good for society i don't it's know just I, like that's yeah. good inside deadshot's head <clears throat> I'm starting to swing back to Jeff's side here on this one because I do think that last scene is meant to be heartwarming. And also, yeah. uh, the, the evidence of the, that the film wants you to root for the Joker-Harley Quinn relationship is that scene when Joker actually rescues Harley Quinn. Yes. It's played as a victorious moment. And then Will Smith... It's a hero was, scene. Yeah, it's a hero yeah. scene, like slow motion, brilliant fl- explosions in. and lights. She dives. And then Will Smith is told to execute her and doesn't do it. And we're like... That itself is also meant to be kind of a moment of like, yeah, stick it to the man, Will Smith. Um, so in some ways, maybe mildly, but in some ways I do think the movie causes you to root for these things. That what is – well, let's think the about Joker the ending acid- Yeah, let's think about the ending. Go ahead. Let's yeah. think about the ending though. Like if the movie wants you to root for them, why would they go right back to jail? Like the <laughs> the, the, the happy ending – for Harley Quinn is that she's still in jail, but she has an espresso machine. Well, also she gets broken up by Joker. Yeah. So Bro- jo- Joker gets <laughs> Joker her. He, gets her. he does the, the thing movie. that the yeah. hero does in the movie, which <laughs> yeah. is saving his girlfriend. Yeah. So I don't know, Vince. I'm less convinced now, but uh, I, I appreciate the points. I think yeah. – Yeah. Go ahead. I, th- I think it was supposed to be – I mean, look, I'm not – I, I'm I'm having a hard time defending this like it's you know like it like it's it, its intentions are clear and that its storytelling <laughs> was was well done when it's not but you know I think the ending is supposed to be a pyrrhic victory like you know Deadshot gets to see his daughter but he's still in jail mm. yeah interesting uh, all right well uh, I think that's most of our thoughts on this movie any any closing thoughts Vince you wanna you wanna have the last word here. Do you, do you think people should go see Suicide Squad? Sure. I don't care what people do, man. <laughs> I'd be happy if they never saw another superhero movie again. I don't care. Vince, I you're see. like on the Suicide Squad of movie reviewers. Yeah. <laughs> don't give a shit. It's like, yeah, whatever, man. <laughs> yeah. I'll take that mantle. By yeah. the way, you should see the very tiny shorts Vince is wearing right now. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, that was weird, Jeff. Uh, let's talk briefly about the Stinger guys, huh? Sure. What'd you think of the Stinger? More rooms, more files! Yeah! <laughs> <laughs> At the very end of the movie, uh, after the credits, we see Bruce Wayne meet with Amanda Waller. She gives her, uh, she gives him files on, you know... Didn't he have those files? Didn't more metahumans? Didn't he metahumans? over this whole Bruce yeah. Wayne acquiring fa- files about metahumans already? It, well, he needed more background information, He I needed think. more files. He needed more <laughs> files on that, the metahumans. Okay. 
that scene makes me s- just is another thing that makes me so sad for Ben Affleck because he's Ben <laughs> Afflecting so hard and he's yeah. like he's, he's yeah. doing good, but he can't Stick Ben Affleck. Out. He can't Ben Affleck his way out of this. And it, it <laughs> you know, you guys you guys laugh about the files and in, in the files, but have there has there ever been a version of Batman? Now we've seen in two films this version of Batman. Has there ever been a version of Batman that is less the greatest detective? Than this Batman, he he cannot get any information on his own in any of these movies. Yeah, yeah. He's I mean, the world, the world's Batman, right? supposed to be the world's greatest detective, and he literally needs other people to hand him a file with all the information all the time. Well, also his detecting in Batman v Superman led him to the very wrong conclusion. Right, uh, true about Superman. Maybe so. Adam West was worse. <laughs> investigator i don't even remember oh he always deduced the uh, oh yeah that's true he always deduced the, the problem he deduced shit yeah i mean he's so ben affleck is directing like a standalone batman movie and that is interesting because he was the best thing about batman versus superman so maybe this universe isn't dead yet him and wonder woman um yeah. uh which by the way that trailer also looks pretty good but uh oh. i was uh also disappointed that like DC still can't get the end credit stuff right because you have a bunch of people staying until the very very end of the credits and then get. I, I was actually thankful. <laughs> <laughs> Basically, you say the very end of the credits and nothing happens. Uh, mm-hmm. Marvel often gives you the two stingers now. There's like the sh- right after the credit, like the credit start. There's a stinger, and there's another one way after the credits. And it's just people are expecting the second one now, you know. And if you don't give it to them. It's kind of a bummer. On the other hand, you're right, Devendra. Maybe it's a blessing in disguise. I look. So there's an article. If you search uh, "Suicide Squad credits," I think Slash Films article about it pops up first. And one of the, early on, it says there is nothing after the actual credits. Yes. Yes. Well, I was actually going to ask because I stayed for like part of the first one, and then yeah. and then I got, <laughs> and then you were like, I'm done. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm out yeah. of here. He wanted to maximize the thing he liked about the movie, i.e., exactly. its brevity. Yeah. Yes. yes. <laughs> Exactly. All right. Well, Vince thinks you should see the film. Uh, all of us think you should not. And Jeff, I, I have I've never seen you with this strong language. I think you said something like, "You don't need to go see Suicide Squad. Like it's not worth it. The conversations about it won't be worth it. Just don't go see it, or something like that." Right? Yeah. And a lot of people got upset at me for saying that. But yeah. I, I, yeah. I, I really feel like, especially people that think about bringing kids to this movie, it's it's just. There's nothing to take away from it mm-hmm. that is that is worth the ticket price. Um, yeah, it, it really isn't. And and I and I I know I'm going to get a lot of hate, but I I truly think this is one of those things that just doesn't make the world better. It it has nothing to say. It's not. It's a fun ride for all the wrong reasons. It's the the the, the little bit of fun you I got out of it was at the expense of sort of like the poison that I put in my brain. It's just, it's, it's just gross. Well, to, to quote Walter Chaw, uh, the great Walter Chaw at filmfreakcentral.net, Suicide Squad fails at every single thing it attempts. It's porn for children. It'll make a ton of money, cause a lot of head stra- scratching and impotent conversations and mild outrage, and then Donald Trump will be president and will deserve it. Can't say we haven't been warned. Snap. So I, I couldn't agree with that more. I think that's that's exactly how I felt about it. And I, I know that like that loads it with a lot of baggage that people are gonna push back against, but that's how I felt. <laughs> All right. I'm pro porn for children and I support it. 
<laughs> Vince Mancini from Film Drunk, really appreciate you walking into a critical buzzsaw here, uh, given that you're the only person who kind of liked this movie. Uh, why don't you let us know where we can find more of your work on the internet this week, sir? Uh, you can check me out at uh, Film Drunk or uprocks.com slash Film Drunk or just filmdrunk.com. Uh, and then I'm on the Frotcast, F R O T C A S T. That's our podcast, and that's about it. Uh, how about you, Devendra Hardware? Oh, I'm at Devendra on Twitter, and I write about techandgadget.com. I also compiled a list of every dumb tech thing in Jason Bourne there, so go check that out. Oh, yeah. You could not leave oh, the Bourne awesome. well alone. Oh. Had to go back to it. Jeff Kanata. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Jeff Kanata, and I have several other shows, including uh, a video game show at 5x5.tv slash DLC, a comedy show at wehaveconcerns.com, and a tech show at tomorrowdaily.com. Find all my stuff at davechen.me. Find me also uh, directing The Primary Instinct on Hulu, if you have Hulu in the United States. Uh, and tune in next week on the Slash Filmcast. We'll be reviewing Pete's Dragon. So uh, that'll be a lot of fun, and uh, I'm very interested at what David Lowry can do. We're seeing a lot of indie, you know, small film directors get big budget blockbuster tentpole films, and uh, David Lowry is the latest one. So uh, curious what Peach Dragon is going to turn out to be like. Thanks for listening to the official podcast of SlashFilm.com. We're out. description of this plot actually comes from your colleague over at uh, Uproxx, Vince. Mike Ryan wrote a, mm. wrote a fun review of this film. Uh, and give me a moment while I pull it up, because I'm having trouble with that. I heard you stretching it, and it almost worked. I tried. I think the plot was yada yada sky portal. Sky portal. <laughs> Magic! Uh, Alright, here we go. Uh, I got it now. Alright, so... Hi, I'm Jessie Ware. I'm Lenny. And we're from the Table Manners podcast, and this week we're sponsored by Uniqlo. I'd really like to bring to your attention Uniqlo Airism. So it's a base layer that releases heat and moisture to keep you feeling cool. So Airism fabric includes antimicrobial and deodorizing features to help you stay feeling fresh. And Airism's so lightweight and it's really, really super smooth, which stays invisible beneath the clothes. So you can wear this layer and still be really cool and it's soft it's really it's soft. soft gorgeous so discover airism now in uniqlo stores and online at uniqlo.com i'm at the nail salon what? i'm at the grocery store what? i'm at the combination nail salon and grocery store wait she's at the nail salon and the grocery store I'm at the combination nail salon and grocery store. Groceries through Instacart, delivered to my door. I don't have to choose between acrylics and the grocery store. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. 
Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer and set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.